Well, if you have your Bibles with you, and I do right here, uh, take it, open to Luke 8. That's where we'll be tonight. Luke 8, starting in verse 22. I'll give you a minute to get there while I hydrate. Luke 8, starting in verse 22. Nice. All right. Let's read that together once I get there. All right, verse 22, here we go. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Let's pray briefly one more time. Father, would you take your word, would you apply it to our hearts and minds? For Christ's sake, amen. Uh, I'm sure you remember what happened on uh, February 5th of this past year. Uh, We had been hearing reports of severe weather all day that day, which is not particularly uncommon. I was in jury duty that whole week. Uh, Still getting adjusted here a little bit. All right, I feel comfortable right here. This is the spot. I was in jury duty all week, and uh, I got out early on this Tuesday. I was thrilled about that. I was, you know... Not heartbroken at all to get out of jury duty early uh, because of these potential storms that were nearing our city. And I thought nothing of it. Uh, In fact, my wife Lindsay was out of town visiting parents, and so I got out of jury duty early. It was too late to come to the church and do any work. So I went home and kicked up my feet and uh, watched several hours of the highly addictive TV show Lost. Any fans? You can admit it. It's okay. Uh, it was great. I love just, you know, relaxing. There were storms blowing over, and I'm inside oblivious to what's going on, and she's calling me every few minutes from Mobile, uh, asking me what's going on. Are you watching the weather? No, I'm not watching the weather. I'm watching Lost. Well, we're watching the weather. And I, I'm just not even concerned about it at all. And then I got a call from my dad, who told me that Union University had been hit by an uh, EF4 tornado. And uh, my sister happens to be a student at Union and lives on campus. So all of a sudden, I had a strong interest in what was going on outside of my house and uh, in our area. As it turns out, Laura had uh, accepted an invitation to go to a missions class at at a local church. Uh, Last minute, made a decision to go do that and was not on campus, was not hit by the tornado, nothing. Uh, She was fine, completely safe. In fact, here's a picture of uh, my sister, you can't see it too well up there, but that's she's holding the remaining parts of her bedroom door there. Uh, that's from the Union Unionite magazine that came out not long after, and it's all stories of the students telling you know what they went through and how God was faithful to them through it. Um, and actually, I want you to see where her room was too. This is a, an aerial sort of a campus, and uh, I know you can't see real clearly because of the lights, but if you look in that, oh look, I have a laser. That left corner right there, that's the worst hit area. That's exactly where her room was. Nothing left. She found her Bible, her journal, and a blanket. 
That was the only things, that the, not the blanket, but the first two things were the only things she prayed she'd find, and she found those and a blanket. So she was really thrilled about that. But that was all that was left. But she wasn't there. But one of her roommates was there. Uh, she survived. She was curled up in a bathtub when the tornado hit. And uh, it turns out the wall fell on top of her while she was in the tub, and she ended up in the hospital with some pretty painful injuries. But fortunately, she was okay in the end, too. Now, I say all that to say there was nothing particularly miraculous about that day at Union. I mean, when you read, on the other hand, when you read accounts of people who were on or near the campus during this devastating storm, they, they all speak of God's goodness and his control and his power and his providence through the whole thing. They all, over and over you read and hear on the news about how they were amazed at God's control and providence, that he knew exactly what was happening, that he was in control of this storm uh, that had hit the campus. And it's interesting that it hit the one place on campus the hardest that had the highest concentration of potential victims, the dorms. There were about 1,200 students on campus that night, according to the president, and uh, none of them lost their lives. Not one. And when you look at that damage, it's hard to believe that. But they've, those students and, and the faculty at Union have repeatedly confessed their uh, confidence that the Lord Jesus was in control of exactly where that storm would hit, what kind of damage it would do, and how, even in the midst of chaos, they sensed an extraordinary peace. Now, come to tonight, we're studying the miracles of Jesus on Wednesday nights. And all his miracles are pointing us primarily to his divine power and authority, as well as to his mission of pushing back the curse of the fall, which Will talked about some last week. Jesus came to earth as fully man and fully God, and he came to overcome the horrendous effects of the fall caused by our sin. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at a story where he healed a paralytic and how he dealt first and foremost with this man's sin, his need for forgiveness of sin, and then he healed him to prove his power to do that. Then last week, we looked at this devastated widow who had just lost her only son. And then Jesus comes along and speaks a word and raises him back to life. And Will Savell taught us that though Jesus showed compassion on this woman, that wasn't the point of the story, his compassion, which a lot of people will try to draw out. No, rather, it was the point of the story was that his, he had divine power over death itself, and he's come to overturn the curse of the fall. Now, tonight, we come seeing Jesus confronting a, a different element altogether, the wind and the seas. It's the same kind of elements that threatened Jackson, Tennessee just a few months ago on February 5th. And once again, we're pointed very clearly to the divine power and authority of Jesus, as we are with every miracle. But how is Jesus rolling back the curse of the fall, as Will said last week? How is he doing that in this miracle? It's not quite as obvious, is it? Because he's not dealing with sin or with disease or with death. It's easy to see how he's pushing back the curse caused by sin in those things. But here he's dealing with a violent storm. So it's not quite as obvious, but I think maybe he's showing that as Lord of creation, he can be trusted without fear in the face of life's natural troubles. Troubles that were caused ultimately by the fall. 
And we can face those without fear because He's Lord over all things. The disciples, in this case, fear for their lives uh, because it looks like the storm is going to drown them. And yet when they call on Jesus, He speaks a word and everything goes calm. The waters are peaceful again. The boat is steady. And the men, though they're stunned, they're safe and secure. And I think the main unifying concept that we're supposed to walk away with is this. There's deep peace and rock-solid security for those who trust in the sovereign power of Jesus. There's a deep peace and rock-solid security for those who trust in Jesus' sovereign power. This seems to be the main lesson he's teaching his disciples here. And I think that there are three kind of sub-lessons in this story that point us to that main point of peace and security for those who trust him. The first I want us to see is about the necessity of troubles in the Christian life. And it's this, that those who follow Jesus must pass through storms in this life. Those who follow Jesus must pass through storms in this life. Look back at verse 22. Verse 22, One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. Now stop there. These guys, his disciples, had left everything that they had to go and follow Jesus, to serve him, to learn from him, to be his disciples. This is not a picture of men who are outside of the center of God's will, as some, sometimes people can put it. Uh, they were right there with Jesus. And yet they passed through, through this terrible storm that threatened their lives and put terror in their hearts. And I think this is what we can expect out of life as well, even as Christians. You know, people often assume that uh, the Christian life brings freedom from trouble. Trouble. There, there are TV preachers galore who want you to believe uh, that if you will just walk with God, you will, friend, you will have, you will have abundant wealth, and you'll be healthy all your days, and uh, your life will just be a fairy tale that everybody will be jealous of. I mean, that that is what walking with God's all about. Is is that right there? And we can all fall into the trap of assuming that if we just do our part, that God will make everything smooth. Now, I think most of you know that the health and wealth gospel is a major error. It's, it's not what the Bible teaches. Um, when Jesus says, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed, he's not talking about uh, a promise that you're going to be exempt from all of life's troubles. No, the person who accepts Christ under that assumption is in for a rude awakening because storms are coming. They are sure to come. And when they do, that person who believes that is going to be thrown into doubt and despair. No, Jesus doesn't promise a trouble-free life to us as Christians. I hope you know that. And it's not even that troubles might come or that they probably will. It's that they must. Troubles must come. In the very next chapter of Luke after this, we find Jesus spelling it out when he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected and be killed. And he goes on to say, If anyone would come after me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. In other words, following Jesus is going to be costly. And it's going to cost you your life 
every single day. Paul even taught this to new churches, saying in Acts 14 that it would be, quote, through many tribulations that we would enter the kingdom of God. And he's talking specifically about enduring persecution for Christ's sake. So there's this struggle with Christ's call to die to ourselves daily. And then there's this persecution from the world for following him. But then on top of that, we know that there are normal storms of life each and every day. It's inevitable that sickness and death come. They affect all of us. It's inevitable that relationships will be strained at times. It's inevitable that jobs will be lost and financial security will be jeopardized. It's inevitable that houses will burn down and dorms will be hit by tornadoes. It's inevitable that hearts will break and ache. And we can't avoid the fact that our Lord intentionally brings these circumstances into our path. He's ordained them to be. And even in this chapter, we see that Jesus is in control of this whole chain of events. He's the one who took them across this lake where he knew a storm was going to be there to test them. And as we'll see in the next couple of weeks too, right after this, he's the one that's going to take them to shore where they'll meet a demon-possessed man which, by the way, must be quite frightening. Uh, and then right after that, they run in. he points out, he draws their attention to this sick woman in the crowd, this woman who's been ill for years. And right after that, he shuts three of his closest disciples in a room with him and a dead child. If they thought that they were going to escape the grimness of life by following Jesus, then they had it coming because he immediately confronts them with a life-threatening storm, with a demoniac, with an invalid, and with a corpse. A child's corpse, no less. He's saying, in essence, to his disciples through this whole series of events, though you enjoy my salvation, you still live in a fallen world where evil and trouble and heartache are rampant. Now, how are you going to face it? Folks, we're going to face storms in life. But how will we face them? This is an important question to answer, and it leads us to our second lesson, which is in this text, thankfully, about the conquest of troubles in the Christian life, the conquest over them. Look at verse 24. It says, And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. The point is this. Jesus has sovereign power over all of life's storms. He's got sovereign power over all of them. Now, I know I'm stressing the obvious to point out who overcomes the problem here, who delivers them from the storm, who has the power of God in his voice. But let's face it, even we as Christians have devised all kinds of methods for coping with trouble, for dealing with life storms in ways that have nothing to do with the power of Jesus. Haven't we? I mean, you might keep yourself as busy as possible just so you don't have to think about those things that are troubling you, that are hard. Or uh, you may be in a position where you can use money and influence to just wipe away problems quickly. So you handle them yourself that way. Or uh, some people like to do what they call retail therapy. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, Retail therapy to make themselves feel better. You know, you go on a shopping spree, and if I just got those new shoes... Uh, not me getting new shoes, but ladies, I'm sure you like shoes or whatever else you like. Guys have their own brand of retail therapy. It's usually technological or 
uh, has to do with power tools or a large screen TV or something. But here's the point. While there's a time and place for all those kinds of things, we're selling ourselves short and dishonoring God, really, if we turn to them for ultimate solution and comfort in the face of our problems. This miracle is telling you how to face your storms. Turn to Christ Himself. He has sovereign power over all of it. All of it. And it's hard to remember that. But in the last chapter, before this one, He had spoken to a dead man who sprang to life. Before that, He commands a paralyzed man to get up and walk, and He jumps up, and you can almost imagine Him clicking His heels as He dances away with joy as a new man, able to walk for the first time. And now... Jesus' voice delivers power again as He speaks to these roaring winds and raging waves. Now, guys, it's hard to imagine a more stunning display of sovereign power than what Jesus does here. I mean, even when it comes to raising the dead, we as humans can have, uh, we can exercise some degree of influence over life and death. Not ultimately, but a little bit, right? I mean, think about it. You can give CPR, to somebody. You can give the Heimlich to somebody who's choking. You can push somebody out of the way of a speeding bus. Uh, I don't know if you know Rob McCann or not. We were just talking about this two weeks ago, the Taylors. Uh, you know, Rob McCann is a member here. He's a doctor. He plays guitar with us on Sunday mornings. Great guy. But he'll be the first to tell you, he's not the doctor you ever want to see. Because if you're seeing him, you're probably already dead. Or you're on your way out and he's pulling you back in with everything he's got. Um, Now, he's got a pretty sobering job and he doesn't raise people from the grave like Jesus does, but he has pulled people back from that brink of death. You know, we can have an influence to a degree and there's a big difference between what Jesus does and that, uh, admittedly, but it's a difference of degree. But here, when we come to this storm, all of a sudden, we're in a whole different category, aren't we? I mean, nobody can command the wind and the waves. I can, uh, I can turn on a fan to stir up some wind in my house. That's kind of nice. I like being able to do that. Uh, I can blow a little bit on my daughter's baby food to cool it off. I can do that. But that's about it when it comes down to it, you know? The best we can really do with these elements is hire some guy to predict what's going to happen in the next few days. And even that's a completely educated guessing game, right? with the weather. Nobody has any control over these elements whatsoever. We have zero. And yet Jesus comes in and He speaks a word and everything obeys instantly. Isn't that amazing? That threatening wind ceases to blow. The the seas, waves go calm all at His very command. Granted, most of us are not facing uh, the stormy seas on a regular basis. We're not out there sailing for a living or anything. But there, there is an important implication for our lives here. If this Jesus has the ability to boss the weather around, then surely there is no circumstance that you can ever face where Jesus lacks authority and power. Can there be? If He can do that, What area of our lives can He not also be in authority? Is it physical danger like this, like they're facing, that you may face right now? 
Well, Jesus has demonstrated his power, his ability to deliver. Maybe it's some kind of news that you just received that has all of a sudden turned your world upside down. Well, what an encouragement you have here to cry out to the Lord, Master, I'm perishing, I'm drowning here. And He powerfully commands the elements with His voice. So surely, when you look to Him, He can calm your troubled heart and even your circumstances if He so chooses. Now, I say if He chooses for a reason, because I don't want to mislead you. I don't want to mislead you into thinking that uh, trusting Jesus automatically makes the storms just go away. That's another error to think that. And we can sometimes talk like that, but that's not the case, not by any stretch. Though Jesus healed many diseases, he left many unhealed. Uh, Paul asked him many times, as we know from the, the letters to the Corinthians, that, that he would remove that thorn in his flesh. And yet, he says, the Lord never has because he wants to keep me dependent on him. In Paul's weakness, Christ was shown to be strong. Christ raised many people from the dead, but as we know, most people who die, uh, so far at least, have stayed dead, right? Uh, Regarding storms, there's one described in Acts 27 that raged for two weeks and ultimately shipwrecked Paul. So, no, turning to Christ doesn't always make these storms go away. But knowing that our Lord is in control of them and is using them for His glorious purposes and even for our good, That gives us confidence to endure the storms with a joy and a peace that this world cannot comprehend nor explain. So we've seen the necessity of troubles that all of us who follow Christ are going to pass through storms, that we must pass through storms. We've seen the conquest of those troubles in the sovereign power of Jesus. And lastly, I want you to see, I want you to notice the purpose of troubles. Namely that storms in our lives test and produce faith in Christ. And that faith produces peace. Storms test and produce our faith in Christ, and that faith produces peace. Look back at our text at verse 25. Jesus has just calmed the storm, and he says to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Now, at this point in the story, Luke's focusing on the faith of these disciples. It was faith that Jesus was interested in here. He didn't say anything about how bad the storm had gotten. He didn't uh, brag about this amazing miracle he just performed like we probably would have. Hey, guys, did you see what I just did? Wasn't that cool? You know, some of us would do that. Jesus is not interested in those things. No, what, what catches his attention is what the storm revealed about their faith. Now, why is that? Why is that? I think it's because our it's by faith that we are saved. It's by faith that we are sanctified. It's by faith that we're made strong. And it's by faith that we receive the peace that He came to give. And we often think that these miraculous events like raising from the dead or calming a storm are how God gets His greatest glory. That's how He's seen to be most glorious. But Jesus seems to have a different aspect in mind, that that faith is what shows God to be most glorious. He's interested in our faith. And if this was a test of faith for these disciples, they surely scored low. I mean, he calms the storm and then turns to them and says, where is your faith? 
Mark's account gives us a little more detail uh, where Jesus is quoted saying, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? In other words, after everything you've seen me do, right in front of your very eyes, do you still not trust me? Do you still not believe that I'm in control and am taking care of you? On the surface, it's kind of hard to see why Jesus rebukes them in this way because obviously this storm was more than they could handle on their own. And the danger was real. It wasn't just in their minds. I mean, Luke even says the boat was filling with water and the danger was great. So why does Jesus say this to them? Well, the problem wasn't that they, that they turned to Jesus or that they called out to him for help or that they were frightened. That's no, fear, that's no failure of faith. The problem was the attitude with which they called on him. This panicked, hysterical fear that revealed that they didn't really trust him, did they? Mark's account, again, supplies more helpful details, saying that some of them awoke him with an accusation, saying, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? (laughs) They're accusing him here. Folks, that's not faith. And it's not that if we have faith, we'll never be frightened in the midst of danger, but true faith looks to its object the sovereign Lord Jesus himself. And true faith is quietly comforted by words like these. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's Psalm 23, verse 4. Or how about words like these from Romans 8? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Trials test our faith, but they are also designed to produce more faith. The disciples walked away from this event saying, wow, who is this that commands even the winds and the water? Nobody can do that. Nobody. Who is this guy? Do you think that their faith was deepened as a result of this? Well, of course. How could it not be? And apparently these trials and even his miracles were Jesus' method of private instruction to his disciples to prepare them to go out in faith and do gospel outreach in their world. That's what we find out in the next chapter of Luke. He sends them out to do miraculous works themselves. He's testing them and producing more faith in them to prepare them for later. Now, you know this to be true as well. Is your faith deepened more when life is just silky smooth or when it gets rocky? Well, of course, it's the latter. Uh, one of our brothers here um, was telling me recently about how he was cruising along very smoothly in life, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he lost his job. And then right after that, he, they find a tumor on one of his kids. Well, how about that? Life just got really hard. That's serious stuff, isn't it? And it challenged him and deepened his trust in the Lord. Not only for salvation, but for daily bread, for provision, for protection for his own family. 
And he, he voiced in uh, some words that he would have never learned to trust Christ in that way if those trials had not come. Guys, it's when these storms arise that we have to kind of, we have to back our theology out of the driveway and take it for a spin in the real world. And when we do, I trust that you'll find that it drives true. It drives true. And that faith in Jesus is the only way of real peace in life's storms. Peace that passes all understanding. So, all that to say, one final word. Don't be surprised when things get difficult. Those who follow Jesus must pass through storms in this life. It's just reality. It's the way He's ordained it to be. But remember also that Christ is sovereign, completely sovereign over your circumstances, and you can trust Him. Remember also that He has a purpose for those storms to test your faith and also to produce deeper faith in Him. And there's deep peace and rock-solid security for those who trust in the sovereign power of Jesus. So may you trust in Him in the storms of your life and may you drink deeply of His peace. Let's pray. Father, we... I don't even know the troubles that uh, are in this room in each person's life. I know that we all face them as your word has warned us and prepared us for. Uh, so I know that there are many hurts. There are uncertainties of what the, what the next step is in life. There are uncertainties about uh, that next job or where even the next meal may come from. Who knows? Lord, there are uncertainties about um, surgeries and sicknesses and loved ones passing away. Lord, there are so many hurts that I can't imagine. And yet, Lord, we, we confess that you are sovereign over those things. We confess that you have a purpose for them. And so I pray for each person in this room. I pray that you will reveal your purposes to them in good time. Lord, would you, would you deepen their faith in you and help them to come out the other side of their trials, saying, yes, God had a plan and He is good to me. He has been faithful to me every step of the way. Would you do that, Lord, for your name's sake, we ask it. And would you help us to do all that we do for your glory, even when it's hard. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.